concert, epic music, movie, music, movie. Uh, take mind. two. All right, take two. Uh, insert epic movie music here. It's time for epicness on the grandest scale. All right. Please don't do that. All again. right. I don't know what I was doing. Welcome I never back. know what I'm doing, but we're here anyway on the list. And uh, this week, Andrew and I are going to talk about two movies. Uh, I have not seen one of them, and Andrew has not seen one of them until this recording. And uh, the thing that's interesting about these two movies... Um, now, Andrew is kind of going by his own methodology, and I decided to try to match up with it thematically. Uh, so the two movies we have are both... Big epics, three-hour-plus films, both from the early 80s, uh, one 1981 and one 1982. And a good, interesting connecting thread is that they're both films directed by actors. And both of those directors won Best Director yes. in their year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they each won Director that they were, you know, that they won for. Their only time winning an Oscar, too, uh, as far as I know. And uh, and yeah, so let's uh, let's get right into it. All Andrew, right, so my film watch? was directed by Warren Beatty, oh. and it is the 1981. One. Uh, sorry, I was just sorry, my my, phone. my notes are a little crazy. Sorry, 1981 epic Reds. Good, yes. So I'm I'm glad to uh, get this into your hands. I uh, and rewatch. I didn't rewatch the entire movie, but I rewatched uh, the first half, and. Uh, and like, I was, I was, I was reminded how, and for me, this is like kind of an easy movie to watch in a weird way. Oh yeah, really easy. Like I mean, Warren say... Beatty is really easy on the eyes. And, <laughs> and oh, Diane, is that right? And Diane Keaton, she's great. Oh, she's yeah, she's she's beautiful. But let me tell you the story. This is the story of a man named Jack Reed, who was an American journalist and radical in the late 19th, early 20th century, and he was part of an effort to. Spread com- well to spread communism around the world. Well, well, he was a journalist. We should make that, that pre- pretty plain clear. He was very much about the worker and about the proletariat and all that. And um, yeah, and in, early in the film, he's involved with unions and his own circle of intellectuals yeah. and friends in Greenwich Village. Yeah, actually, but it takes place he... from 1915 to 1920, by the way. So. Uh, nominally that. I think he was previously in Mexico or something. There, and they only brief... show one little bit of him like running away from like a battle and he gets onto a truck. Yeah, you're right. But it's nominally but it's it's interesting because this movie for me, what I like about it is that its emotional core is so strong that it, it becomes it ha- it's about a lot of different things. It's about, you know, the history that it's telling. Um but it's also about these Two people, John Reed and Louise Bryant. Both, and neither of whom are, pretty, are particularly well known nowadays. And I got, really. a, I got a vibe early on that this was Warren's baby stab at making his own Citizen Kane. Hmm, Citizen not just Kane. Be, not just because he produced and directed and, and acted in the thing, but because it has a very similar opening. At the beginning of Citizen Kane, we're like, oh, Charles Foster Kane is dead. And then everyone's like, oh, Kane. And, you're tr- and the audience is like, is trying to figure out, well, who the heck is Charles Foster Kane? And in yeah. the beginning of this, you have people, you have little interviews with people who knew Jack Reed. And I, like probably most of the audience, had never heard of Jack Reed. Yeah. And so they say, oh, Jack Reed, he was, yeah, but, uh, he was this, he was a communist. He was, a, he, was, he, was a, he was a great guy. And I'm like, well, 
who the heck is Jack Reed? And I was drawn into it in the same way. Yeah. I To me, actually, well, I've, I almost liken it. I don't know. Like, Citizen Kane's not bad. I almost likened it a little bit to, like, a Ken Burns documentary. It you know, starts because of, off that of the, way. Well, because of the talking heads who kind of come in, uh, you know, and um, occasionally, not, not throughout, but a few times you also have, like, the still images as well. Again, it's not at all like a Ken Burns doc in the way that, of course, most of the movie is a dramatization. Right. But those but those interviews are spread throughout the movie. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, one of the people interviewed uh, is uh, Henry Miller. That's the only guy that I recognize. He's the guy who's like, uh, and I'll have to bleep this out, you know, there's probably just as much f- back then as there is now. <laughs> you know, it's just today it's a little more perverse. <laughs> that, that was Henry Miller. Um, I could tell who he is by because he looks like Fred Ward. But the point is, so this movie follows this relationship between uh, Reed and Bryant. And uh, actually, the thing about John Reed, though, is that he did apparently write a semi-famous book. It was called Ten Days That Shook the World. A book I've heard of. Okay. Even if I hadn't heard of its author. Yeah. So, uh, again, and, and the interesting thing about this, too, is that, yeah, you might not really know who John Reed and Louise Bryant were, but they are surrounded by, it's set in in part in the New York art scene of like the mid 1910s in Greenwich Village so you also have Eugene O'Neill as a character played by Jack Nicholson who is perfect as Eugene O'Neill oh god I love Nicholson in this movie so much he's like you know what I love too about his casting and Warren Beatty talked about this uh he had to have somebody who the audience could believe could take away (laughs) Diane Keaton from him yeah I read that too. Yeah. He was convinced that Jack Nicholson was the only man who could ever steal a woman from him. Yeah, and it's funny because they were like best friends, they're best friends in real life, so it was probably kind of fun to play that. Um, and uh, and yeah, also Nicholson and Keaton are great on screen together yeah. too. I found what was very, one of the things I found very interesting was the relation between uh, Louise Bryant and, and uh, Jack Reed. Yeah, of course. Especially early on when they're in Greenwich Village, because she leaves her husband to live with Reed. Yeah. And they're in the village and talking with his scholarly friends, and she's, she's out of her element. She, yeah. She doesn't... I, I, sometimes she tries to speak up, but people don't take her seriously, and she's struggling to be a writer. Yes. And she, that's what she keeps telling people. I'm a writer. And like oh, yeah. once or twice people somebody will ask her, like Emma Goldman asks her, So what do you write? Everything? Nothing? And she just gives her this look like what? <laughs> yeah. Uh and I, I kinda of, in you in a way it's like I I have and I love this about the movie, I have mixed emotions for her, because it's like on the one hand I feel sorry for you that you're in this position at this moment, but on the other hand, why don't you get your shit together? Yeah, that's how I felt too. And this eventually causes problems with, with Reed, because she she wants to be a writer, and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to be just his woman who followed him out of Oregon. Yeah. But at the same time, she doesn't... She's... How do I explain this? She, she's I, kind of... she's a She wants to be, like, one of the feminist people. Like... I pictured Louise Bryant, if she stuck around in the United States, she would have been, like, on the front lines of the uh, the suffragette movement or something. Like, she would have been there to get women to vote or something. But, yeah, but she's not totally sure about what, you know, she's going to write about. No, she's not sure of herself. And she, and basically in the beginning, she has no talent. <laughs> 
she yeah, she's she tries not to good. take photographs and she's not really great at that. And and the writing she does she is, repetitious. is is poor. And when she gets and she she gets constructive criticism, she just shrugs it off and says, "This is how I want to do it." And what that but the problem is that she's constantly envious of Jack Reed. Yeah, because he is somebody who people just always gravitate to. He's, and he's a very talented writer. Yeah, he's a good public speaker. He's very forceful. But and... but then when they do have fights, Jack fights with her and he feels bad about it too because he just wants to be liked by everybody. <laughs> and when he's not liked by one person, yeah. he he suffers for it. Well, but... it's, well, it's also because, you know, they're in love too. It's it's a little bit different than if you're not liked by just some guy on the street. Right. And then but then all this changes when they finally go to Russia and try to document the revolution. Yeah. Now in Russia, you see like this change as they're riding the train. Mm. Uh, where Jack diminishes impor- in importance. I remember, Louise yeah, that was an interesting in sequence. Yeah, and, and, and when they finally get to St. Petersburg, they're on level ground. Yeah, and, and that's they- when their writing really takes off. They work together better than ever, and they write all these great articles, and they're they're like a perfect pair. The 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 uh, the the, the direct like that's the one section where Beatty also indulges the most in kind of like his super epic movie romanticized fashion because he has like you know the international song yes. playing and it's like they he intercuts between the workers overtaking like the palace and finally rising up with a sex scene yeah. you're watching them get together again intimately and the way Beatty shoots it it's uh you know you don't see them in their full flesh you see them in silhouette I right. found that to be an interesting thing, And the Internationale, that's the, basically the song, of, the song of the Communist Party. And it's all about, basically, things transcending differences in nationality and uh, and status. Yeah. As a side note, I should mention that um, it's not in one of his documentaries, but it was in like a presentation he did years ago. Zizek brought up that sequence as kind of like this ridiculous representation of Hollywood on like the communist... Uh, struggle it's like we're gonna have like this big moment where the two main characters find their love in the midst of <laughs> the yeah. communist explosion um and then the rest of the movie is interesting then because it, it turns into more of like a what happens when you actually get this revolution that you wanted it's not just that though i mean you have you always have the high point just before intermission where the yeah. characters on top of the world in like in any big epic as opposed to a small epic, of course. Yes. And then things go down because there's a scene in the first half where Jack gets to talk to all these people in a, in a factory and he gets his first taste of making history. Mm. You know what I mean? He talks to all these workers in a, in a weapons factory saying, we need you to strike because the whole world is looking at you. And, yeah. and, and he basically helps make the revolution happen. And he gets a taste of that and he decides, well, I want to work in politics and bring the revolution to the United States. Yeah. Now, Louise Brooks is... Louise Bryant. Louise Bryant. Louise Bryant. Why do I say Louise Brooks? Because she's... It, they're very closely named, and Louise Brooks was also a silent film actress. Oh. I don't know. But the point is, though... <laughs> but the point but, is, but is that Louise communism Bryant, doesn't work in the U.S. She, she's, she sees, obviously, that it's totally different. But Jack then gives his life to doing everything he can to make it happen. And yeah, well, well, there's that... Well. There is a moment, though, where he does want to try to leave. He wants to go back to his wife. And I, it's not Trotsky. It was like somebody else in 
it was not. It was played by Jersey Kaminsky. I, I know who you're talking about. He's the one who's like, you know, you can go back to your life any time, but you can never, never leave this moment in history. Right. I just, I love that moment because it's just like this tense thing where it's like, oh sure, you can go, but can you go now? <laughs> what if like passive aggressive communism? I know. <laughs> um, but let's talk about. Uh, so we went, yeah, Beatty is very charming, and he gives himself uh, this really great character, and uh, you know that he he has a lot to play in this movie. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, and uh, what else to say? I mean. There's also, I just like a lot of the conflicting viewpoints. It's like, if you go into this movie and think that, oh, this is just going to be some kind of red prop, commie propaganda, it's kind of not. It has a li- it has more viewpoints. It's very three-dimensional, I found. Yeah, it's rather nuanced. I yeah. mean, it's about two people who believe in communism and, or socialism. Well, they believe in some kind of system that helps, you know, the, the poorer classes, and yet it's the 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 problem i think louise bryan even mentions it like she's on some committee in front of like this panel and she yeah, even in front says, of a senate committee yeah and she even ha- mentions in this country no i don't think it would work yeah and uh yeah oh funny little side note um Beatty actually showed this movie to uh, ronald reagan in the white house yeah in the in the early when he became president and you know, keep well, in mind, that, Ronald Reagan called Russia the evil empire. Well, they they had the private screen in the White House basically because Beatty knew Reagan from Reagan's Hollywood from actor years. days. Yeah, the, Ronald Reagan, the actor, yeah. who's vice president, <laughs> Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I had to slip that in there. Um, all right, but the, but the last half of the film is Jack's sort of slide. I mean, that's what hap- happens in at in the second half of every epic. Usually, he, yeah. He does, this is he comes his, this up, is his Titanic sinking. More or less, he comes up. He he tries to get involved in politics, and then you realize towards the end that it's, it's bureaucracy is the killer. But, yeah, but it's because it's not just it's not because he's he doesn't it, lose his passion, but it's like the, no, it, but he kind of, but he kind of gets he 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 gets a little misguided because people kind of tell him like Emma Golden tells him. You know this isn't gonna work, but he's like, no, no, it's it's coming. It's just it, it'll take a little while to start. But then he he kind of gets beaten down to the point where he's like, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, and the reason is because he's not a politician; he's an artist. Yeah, well, that's he's even a, mentioned he's a, very he's, plainly. He's a journalist. He writes about things and he argues things, but he's not the politician who can make deals or or tr- or trade certain concessions for another. He doesn't thing. quite have that in his personality. No, no. See, that's why I think that um, I can see why you would bring up Citizen Kane because Citizen Kane shows that character from a lot of different viewpoints. But I feel like the difference is that in that you know you had like the one reporter going to different people to get their impressions. Here, oh, also Jack it, is a guy who works in journalism, like Kane. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't run a newspaper. No, I'm just um, saying. I guess, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just because, but even the, I think because the documentary, the documentary side puts Jack Reed in one position, and I think that, yeah, and, all right, I think I get what you're saying because they do. One of the things they do mention is that. Well, here's the difference: the the people being interviewed are putting up different. Um, not not ten seconds. Um, 
they're putting up different perspectives on this character and also on Louise Bryant. But we're seeing the movie from one point of view, really. We're seeing this one kind of fictionalized take. Yeah. All right. But um, but yeah. But did you? Uh, so you dug this movie? Yeah, I really like it. I thought that you see. I, I kind of suggested it in the because I thought. All right. I know Andrew likes authenticity. He likes, oh yeah, uh, authenticity coming up the butt. This has auth- Yeah, coming out the ass, man. Um, yeah, especially and it gives it gives you a view into history that you might have known about, but not in this way. Yeah, and I always find that interesting. Also, again, I mentioned the actors. Like I said, Beatty, Nicholson, Diane Keaton, Gene Hackman's in this movie for a couple of scenes. Yeah. Paul Sorvino. Um, who else? There are a number of people. Paul Sorvino, them. not just playing another Italian mobster. <laughs> no, yeah, he's Russian. All right, time. In a way, he. All right, one last thing to say. He kind of plays almost like a proto version of Zizek. Yeah, he's kind of a loud guy. All right. And luckily I did that because my phone is about to die. All right. So I guess now it's my turn. Yeah, it's your turn on the epic scale. Uh, on the epic Richter scale. Yeah, or all the epic skills. Okay. Right. So uh, this film followed Red's ne- the, the next year. Yeah, in 1982, the winner of not only Best Director, but also Best Picture, Best Actor, Love Awards is uh, Gandhi. Uh, now this is one of those movies which... Um, when I uh, picked, when I got it on the list, I felt like I had maybe seen the movie before, but I, I guess I had. I'd only seen a couple of scenes, and I think that's what it is. Because then when I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, okay, I've not seen this movie before. Um, what you get in this movie is uh, a, a, you know, what you, you know, a life story of Mahatma Gandhi, or that's actually his title. Uh, you know, Mahatma is actually meant to say great person. Yeah. Uh, his real name was Mohandas K. Gandhi. So I got that right. Um, I'd like to actually just start off because the movie opens with a quote. And I thought this was kind of interesting in the context of what I thought about the movie. Um, it says, No man's life can be encompassed in one telling. There is no way to give each year its allotted weight to include each event, each person who helped to shape a lifetime. What can be done is to be faithful in spirit to the record and try to find one's way to the heart of the man. So I guess that's the kind of almost thesis in a way that the movie's trying to present. Do we get to the heart of this man? Um, and I would say we we kind of do when Ben Kingsley is on screen. Yeah. I would say, yeah, this is Ben Kingsley's movie in a big way. Yeah. He really rocks this movie because he, and he's just a lot of the time just very you know there are times in this movie where he's just kind of shown in his hunger strike phase and he's just lying on a bed without much energy and yet he's still compelling yeah it's and it's so strange because every time i see ben kingsley no matter what he's doing if he's if he's the mandarin in iron man 3 or if he's some in some crappy vampire movie oh god I like, always, what, like blood rain yes i always think of him and gandhi and really? Yeah, because why? He because he buries himself so deeply in Gandhi. Mm. Uh, even when even when I'm looking at Ben Kingsley as Gandhi, I do not see Ben Kingsley. It is a it, his performance. Granted, he he was a, much younger back then. It does, but I've, he but still he he, he, he just he, he, just, he envelops. I he hate absorbs to use the cliche, world. but he is he Gandhi. Just, he kind of is, and the, the great thing about that too is that. Um, 
you know, in film history, there are so many examples of people who would, uh, you know, put on like another uh, nation's kind of persona. And blackface. sometimes blackface, but also <laughs> something that popped into my head is, okay, why, you know, why does, um, why does this work? And Mickey Rooney in something like Breakfast at Tiffany's doesn't. Now, part of it is because... Gravitas. Well... <laughs> common sense. Logic. Actually being the race of the character that you're portraying. Yeah, I guess... Because well, Ben Kingsley is from India. He is from India, but he's which, also... Which but I he's was, white. Which I was confused about, because I was like, oh, wait, Schindler's List, is he actually Jewish? His name is Ben Kingsley. No, that, that's, that's the had, interesting thing, though. He was born in India. Yeah. Now, I don't know how... If he is part Indian, or if he's just an English guy from India. See, now I'm confused again. Yeah, see, that's the thing, though. But in this movie, again, so even no, though no, he, he has an Indian name, I that would again that would make sense because he's also the star of this other movie, which uh, God Corey's in the other room. She's gonna yell. Uh, the House of Sand and Fog. Have you ever heard of this? movie? I've heard of it. All right, yeah, this is a movie where he also he plays an Indian guy, not with the same. Skin color, though, but with that kind of forceful presence. And Corey just kind of came in for a moment to give it thumbs down, uh, like she like she's a Roman emperor. Um, so anyway, um, but back to Gandhi. Like again, so you might wonder, well, how can he put on this makeup and he's completely brown through the whole movie, of course, and it's still compelling. Well, because you know it's it's just something that when it comes to acting, you can watch this performance and say, okay. That is good film acting. That is somebody who you believe him heart and soul. He believes in, in himself in this character. And, you know, of course, Gandhi, I mean, what what can you say about the guy? He is the person that you look to. I mean, he inspired Martin Luther King. Yeah. For God's sake. And actually, and it's funny that Martin Luther King, uh, he came up in my mind when I watched this movie because I watched uh, the movie Selma, you know, a while back. And that was a movie I loved. I don't know if I... I like Gandhi. I like this movie. I don't know if I love it like on the level I liked Soma. And I think the reason I didn't was because... And it's tough to describe it because there's... When I watch this movie, there's nothing where I could say, Ugh, that's so bad. That's so not good. I think I just... With the exception of Gandhi himself, I'm not sure if I got fully emotionally invested in this was it, movie. Was it more think, difficult to take in the circumstances of the film or or the, um, or, or the difficulties of the era? I think that, I mean, they do, try, they, they have to, you know, even in three hours, and it feels like a long movie, they do have to still condense some stuff. I think that I found it more intellectually interesting than fully emotionally engaging. Yeah, because it is a film not just about... Uh, it's about Gandhi's British. Life, but it's about British imperial rule. It, what does it against, mean if, if you're? I'm yeah, sorry. it's about the fight against. Uh, it's about the fight for Indian independence, but it's also about Gandhi's philosophy of non-violent, non-cooperation. Yeah, I mean he, uh, you know, he's up against you know British colonialism, and uh, you know, and they could be, they were the power for so many years, even though India was, you know, its own country for so many years before that. And so, of course, Gandhi's whole thing was, no, we, you are the alien presence. You have to leave. Uh, now, that doesn't happen right away, though. Like, at first, what I like those the movie does set up his philosophy in a way that is more about, um, you know, it opens in South Africa, and he gets racism right up front, 
you know, it, it kind of shows that he's on a train and gets kicked off. Yeah, and he and he's shocked. Yeah. You know what's funny? In those early scenes, I feel like his accent changes a little bit in the movie. Like, he starts off talking a little... He sounds, like, a little bit more British. Like, he sounds like Malcolm McDowell or something like that. I know you're giving me looks like... I didn't notice any real change in his That's voice aside from, thing. you know... When he goes goes from young to old, but he goes through a serious transformation mm-hmm. from this. Like yeah. three, he starts you know you know as a young man, yeah, and you know, and he gradually changes to become you know this suited lawyer into yeah. the uh, sort of loincloth wearing figure that we recognize today. Yeah, with he, the gray mustache and the spectacles and and, and the and bald head and you know where he you know he almost takes on he almost has like the quality of like I'm not gonna say a superhero but I have to wonder if someone like Yoda might have been in a way patterned after Gandhi. He's this little he's this little guy with a cane who knows everything and is like and even though he's a Jedi, he preaches nonviolence. He, he's an ascetic. He, he's like a he's monk. He's an ascetic. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Almost like Mother Teresa is an ascetic. Alright, so I should say though, again, I did like there are a lot of things I did like about this movie quite a bit. I like that he does have to um there's a scene where he has to kind of win over the crowd, in a manner of speaking. He goes to give this speech, and at first, like, people are just kind of getting up and just talking, and they're kind of... Some of them oh, are yeah. getting up and walking out, and it's not because they're against him. They're just kind of like, eh, here's another The guy, guy I wanted to hear is talking, or so I think like I'll that. go. Yeah. They're not wrapped in the tension, but, you know, and he... But then he, he says something like, we make speeches for each other at first. But then he starts to talk, and all of a sudden people are like, oh... Oh, this guy's saying things I want to hear. Yeah, and, and then they kind again. of start to sit down again. It's like he's like at a rock concert, and he's that band that is just kind of like you think he's the middling opening act, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my god, it's Van Halen. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> Gandhi, the Van Halen of Indian <laughs> politics. Now I just have you seen UHF? No. Oh, I'm gonna show- to put it on the list. No, but right. when we do the podcast, when we were done with the podcast, I gotta show you Gandhi too. On YouTube. All right, so there are some... Now, here's an interesting thing. You brought up in Reds about the whole thing that, you know, the right before the intermission, things peak up at their highest point. This movie, what I I like, though, is that this actually takes the opposite. This ends on a very tragic note. Like, this, probably the most heartbreaking, kind of brilliant sequence comes in the lead-up to the intermission, where the this massacre happens these people are trapped in by these british soldiers and they're all just shooting these civilians women and children yeah and you know it it ends with gandhi just kind of looking at some of these dead bodies in this well and i i was just like okay that was that was really good i like that sequence um but i think that you know if i like i said if i have kind of a sort of a Slightly overriding flaw, and maybe it becomes a little bit more in the second half than the first, um, is that it, I'm not going to say it's incident, the movie's kind of incidental, but we're looking more at the history than, I might have liked a little bit more of the personal side, in a way, for me. Like, early on in the movie, I, I, there's this really great scene between Gandhi and his wife, yeah, where he kind of tells her, you have to go do this outside, and he almost like kicks her out of the house and then she's like i'm your wife yeah then gandhi suddenly stops and is like oh god what am i doing and you know they have this little heart-to-heart moment now i'm not saying you know gandhi you know probably didn't get in that many fights with his wife 
But I would have liked maybe a little bit more of the personal side the, instead the, of just going through the steps of history. The uh, the the conflict with the wife just gets resolved pretty quickly. That and it's like one thing, and then that's it. They have a completely happy marriage until it's you know over. Let's talk a little bit about the main character of an epic biopic. Okay. Now, I think the best way to describe any 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 sort of biopic is that they're about great men who fail. Hmm, yeah. You know what's funny that you bring this up? Another movie that came to mind watching this, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. And especially in the way that, you know, because in Lawrence of Arabia, it's, you know, it builds up, you know, the first half builds up to Lawrence taking over Aqaba and there's this whole Arabian, you know, high point. But then the second half, it's more just kind of watching, all right, now what? (laughs) You know, now we've all of a sudden, we have to carve up the Middle East and there, you see a little bit of that in this movie because, yeah, the British finally say, all right, we're getting out of here. You do this yourselves. But then you have the problem of the Hindus and the Muslims. So then you have to split up India into Pakistan. Which Gandhi tries to fight against. He see, sees India as one whole that doesn't need to be split up. Yeah. And there are people, and the one person who's against it, uh, named Jinnah, mm. he is. He. He could almost be seen as a villain, but he's not. But he has is legitimate that his, concern. Is that his friend? The, his, his no, that's Nehru. Okay. The other so. person, Nehru, by the way, was played by someone you would probably recognize. I, he looked so familiar. Roshan who Seth, who in 1984 was in Temple of Doom. Oh, and played, that's the guy. And he played Dalsim in the Street Fighter movie. <laughs> well, thanks for reminding me of that. You're welcome. <laughs> um. But, yeah, but, but well, Jinnah is is a yeah. person. He has concerns about Muslims who were a minority in in, in India, and uh, the failure of Gandhi is the ability to keep the, this the country together. He achieves the dream of Indian independence, but it comes at the cost of the unity of. Well, India he can only go so far, too. I mean, he is, you know, he tries to, you know, he can only go on so many hunger strikes before he reaches like. Death store. Yeah, I mean, he manages to do and a great deal. I think, in a way, like the movie ends on a note where, of course, you know, it's sad because the movie opens. You know that he gets shot. That's not that's not a secret because he that show it in also the first history. scene in the movie. Yeah, it's also history. Um, but and yet, what's interesting is that Richard Attenborough he he doesn't put Gandhi in the same place that like Warren Beatty put John Reed in Reds, where. There's kind of like this failure on the part of trying to realize communism. In this movie, there is a moment, though, where he's like, oh, finally the fighting stopped. I can finally eat again. Yeah. But of course, but then there is the thought in the back of your head, well, but what if this happens again? Right. <laughs> Which it's but, bound to happen. But that's the problem between India and Pakistan today. They're still... The, the I mean, pro- I don't know. The politics between India that, and Pakistan sure are bad. much are very much informed by the events of this time. But let's think. Yeah. But think of other biopics that there have been. Like Citizen Kane is about a cat. All right, I guess it's not a biopic because no. Charles Foster Kane didn't exist. Well, if you count Hearst. All right, let me try someone who actually existed. Uh, Alexander. Okay. Alexander is a film about a person. Oh yeah, who, yeah. That, that definitely who has a great rise who achieves a great triumph and then he he, he doesn't get and then he meets his war it. elephants. Uh, <laughs> that is still an awesome scene. I do not care what you No, think. no, that is a great shot. Are you kidding? But, All right. So, 
But the point uh, well, is, I think is that's, that... that's the essence of any biopic, even in Reds, where you, well, there are these films about these great people, and well, how do we identify with yeah. great people? You, you watch them succeed, but then you then you see them fail, and if you see them yeah. fail, you identify with that. Because I think everyone that, knows. Yeah, what it's like I think to for fail. me, I did. I, like I said, I like this movie. It is a good epic. I. Again, it's hard for me to vocalize what exactly was missing, but it was just missing a certain emotional component that would make me think, like, oh my god, this is so amazing. But I will say Ben Kingsley is worth seeing this movie for, by far. Okay. Yeah. Those are our two films, Gandhi and Reds. If you have six hours to spare, <laughs> watch them both. Yeah, watch one or the other, or it watch both. I promise you, it will not feel like six hours. No, especially Reds. <laughs> Gandhi feels a little bit longer, but, you know, whatever. Alright, um, when we come back, we're bringing back our required reading section. But yes. it's much more fun since you don't actually have to read it. <laughs> not, not Unless if you want to. It's a... Yeah. Eat! Eat! I'm going to hell, but not with your death on my soul. Only God decides who goes to hell. I killed a child. I smashed his head against a wall. Why? They killed my son. My boy. The Muslims killed my son. I know a way out of hell. Find a child. A child whose mother and father have been killed. A little boy. A boy. Listen, and raise him as your own. Only be sure that he is a Muslim and that you raise him as one. 